Welcome to this eCystic Fibrosis Review Podcast. I'm Bob Busker, Managing Editor of eCystic Fibrosis Review. We're here today with Dr. Jennifer Taylor Kauser, Professor of Medicine and Pediatrics at National Jewish Health in Denver, to talk about how the research into anti-inflammatory therapy, as well as the potential advent of new CFTR modulators, can impact clinical decision-making. E-Cystic Fibrosis Review is jointly presented by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing. This program is supported by educational grants from Gilead Sciences, Vertex Pharmaceuticals, AbbVie, and Chaisi USA. Learning objectives for this audio program include identify appropriate patients for the initiation of disease-modifying anti-inflammatory therapy, and summarize the potential benefits and risks as reported in Phase two studies of triple-combination CFTR modulator therapy. Dr. Taylor Kauser has disclosed that she has been a trial design consultant and received honoraria from Siltaxis, Proteostasis, Santhera, and Vertex Pharmaceuticals, has participated on advisory boards for Gilead, Novartis, and Vertex Pharmaceuticals, and has performed contract research for Siltaxis, Proteostasis, Vertex, and Bayer Corporation. She has also indicated that she will not be referencing the unlabeled or unapproved use of any drugs or products relevant to today's discussion, with the exception of the new agents in Phase two, Phase three trials that form the basis of this presentation. Dr. Taylor Kauser, thank you for joining us today. You're welcome. I look forward to the discussion. In your newsletter issue, Doctor, you analyze the current literature describing the newest frontiers of CF therapy in the areas of inflammation and CFTR modulation. What I'd like to do today is discuss how that information can affect clinical decision-making. Uh, so if you would, please, doctor, start us out with a patient scenario. Our patient today is a 15-year-old male with mild CF lung disease whose baseline lung function is around 87%. He is homozygous for F508 Bell and has chronic infection with Pseudomonas aeruginosa, and he presents for a routine clinic visit. He's on the standard of care therapy, including Lumicaftor and Ivacaftor. His exam is remarkable for a BMI of 21.8, which is below the recommended BMI for men with CF, which is 23, and he also has mild rhinitis. Although he had a small improvement in lung function following initiation of Lumicaftor Ivacaftor, his mom asked if there is anything else that can be initiated to impact his long-term lung function. So he's got mild CF lung disease that's only slightly improved with Lumicaftor Ivacaftor. How big a role do you think airway inflammation might be playing in his condition? Well, there are not tests in routine clinical use to know how much inflammation is impacting him. Are there any data to explain how long this patient, or for that matter, any patient with cystic fibrosis, how long this patient may have had airway inflammation? Data from the 2010 Australian Respiratory Early Surveillance Team for CF, or ARES-CF group, suggests that inflammation is present in infancy. What about patients who are successful on CFTR modulators? Do they continue to experience inflammation? Patients who are on CFTR modulators do actually continue to experience inflammation. The GOAL study was a trial designed to measure clinical effectiveness of Ivacaftor in people with CF with G551D mutations. A small number of participants who were part of a sub-study that was focused on inflammatory effects yielded paired induced sputum before and after Ivacaftor therapy for analysis. In that small cohort, despite participants maintaining their lung function improvements in sweat chloride reductions, which were representative of the overall study cohort, induced sputum showed no significant changes in a number of the sputum inflammatory markers, including free neutrophil elastase activity. 
Subsequently, Hizert and colleagues, actually the 2017 study, looked at sputum bacterial counts and measures of inflammation in 12 adult subjects who had G551B mutations. Those subjects actually had significant declines in interleukin-8 and interleukin-1B in the first week. And in the subjects with Pseudomonas aeruginosa, the markers continued to decline over the next two years. In summary, patients on CFTR modulators do continue to experience inflammation from the data that we currently have. What about exacerbations? Uh, patients on CFTR modulators, do they continue to experience exacerbations? Although CFTR modulators substantially decrease the rate of exacerbations in people with CF, unfortunately, they do still experience exacerbations. In the phase three trial of Ivacaftor, which is a very highly effective CFTR modulator, in subjects with the G551B mutation, there was a reduction of exacerbations of about 55%. In the 2015 and 2018 phase three trials of subjects homozygous for the F508-DEL mutation, there was a 39% reduction in pulmonary exacerbation rates in the subjects treated with Lumacaftor Ivacaftor and a 35% reduction in pulmonary exacerbation rate in subjects treated with Tezacaftor Ivacaftor. In your newsletter issue, you talked about triple combination therapies, and we know that some of these may not have been FDA-approved yet. There was a recent press release that stated that VX445, or Alexacaftor, was chosen in combination with Tezacaftor and Ivacaftor to be submitted to the FDA. Well, thank you for the update, doctor. What can you tell us about the trials of this agent and what effects have been shown on exacerbations? In the six-month study of people heterozygous for F508 and a minimal function mutation, they showed a decrease in exacerbations of 63%. Thus, all of the modulators do actually decrease pulmonary exacerbations in people with CF, although they are not eliminated. There's something else from your newsletter issue, chronic ibuprofen therapy. Is there evidence that it can modify disease in cystic fibrosis? There is actually evidence that chronic ibuprofen modifies disease and cystic fibrosis. As described in the newsletter, investigators used data from the epidemiologic study of cystic fibrosis and the CF patient registry to evaluate the impact of chronic ibuprofen on lung function. They showed that the rate of decline in FB1 was 37.5% slower for those who used ibuprofen compared to those who didn't use ibuprofen. Also, ibuprofen is associated with decreased lung function decline, which is a surrogate for long-term survival. Uh, take us to the guidelines, doctor. What do the current guidelines recommend for treatment of inflammation and cystic fibrosis? Currently, there are two therapeutics that are recommended by the CF Foundation for the treatment of inflammation in people with CF. Based on its ability to modestly improve lung function and reduce the incidence of pulmonary exacerbations, use of chronic azithromycin is recommended with high certainty of moderate benefit for people with CF who are older than the age of six and chronically infected with Pseudomonas aeruginosa. This is based on its ability to slow the loss of lung function. Additionally, chronic use of ibuprofen at therapeutic peak plasma concentrations of 50 to 100 micrograms per mil is recommended for people with CF between the ages of 6 and 17 years with a lung function that's greater than 60%. Ibuprofen to reduce inflammation in people with CF between 6 and 17 years old. But what about adults with CF? Unfortunately, based on the data from this study, there was not an impact of ibuprofen on loss of lung function in people who were over the age of 18 with CF. Ah, interesting. 
Uh, talk to us, if you would, about the risks associated with the use of chronic ibuprofen. There are some side effects and risks that are associated with a chronic use of ibuprofen. Specifically, peak plasma levels must be maintained to avoid the incidence of rebound inflammation. Also, although they're rare, serious risks of chronic ibuprofen use include gastrointestinal bleeding, gastric ulcers, and renal toxicity. One last question on inflammation, doctor. What anti-inflammatories are currently being studied specifically for the treatment of people with CF? There are actually a number of anti-inflammatories in the CF Foundation pipeline. First, there's ACE Bilustat, or CTX4430, which is an oral drug that reduces the production of leukotriene B4. There's actually a phase three study under development right now. Also, there's lenovusim, JBT101, which is an oral drug that helps promote resolution of inflammation. And there's actually a large ongoing phase two study right now. LAU7B is an oral drug that's related to vitamin A that may reduce inflammation. And they have a phase two study that's ongoing. And finally, POL6014 is an oral drug that blocks neutrophil elastase, which is a protein that causes tissue destruction in people with CF. They're doing a phase one study in Europe right now for that drug. Well, thank you for that case and discussion, doctor. And we'll return with Dr. Jennifer Taylor Kauser from National Jewish Health in just a moment. You've been listening to a Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine E-Cystic Fibrosis Review podcast. If you're unfamiliar with our program, we're a combination newsletter and podcast continuing educational series. We're available online without cost or prerequisite. E-Cystic Fibrosis Review newsletters are published every other month. Each issue focuses on a specific area of importance in the care of patients with cystic fibrosis and is authored by an expert clinician who reviews the current literature and provides commentary. In the month following each newsletter, a case-based podcast discussion, like the one you've been listening to, focuses that expert perspective on translating the new information into clinical practice. Continuing education credit for E-Cystic Fibrosis Review is jointly provided by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing. For more information about E-Cystic Fibrosis Review, please go to our website, ecysticfibrosisreview.org. And if you're interested in additional CF programs, please visit dkbmed.com forward slash CF. And one more thing, if you've enjoyed this podcast and found the information useful, please rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts so that others can find it as well. Thank you. Welcome back to this E-Cystic Fibrosis Review Podcast. We've been speaking with Dr. Jennifer Taylor Kauser from National Jewish Health in Denver about the clinical aspects of controlling inflammation in cystic fibrosis. Let's turn now to our other learning objective, the potential of triple combination CFTR modulator therapy. So bring us back to the clinic, if you would please, doctor, with another patient scenario. Our patient is a 34-year-old woman with CF who is heterozygous for the F508-DEL and W1282X mutations. She has a history of chronic pseudomonas and MRSA infections and a baseline lung function around 40%. She's had multiple complications of her disease, including CF-related diabetes. She's being treated with standard-of-care therapy. Her physical exam is remarkable for a BMI of 19.2, which is below the recommended BMI for women with CF of 22. She has a resting oxygen saturation of 92% at rest, and her exam is also notable for bilateral rhinitis, decreased air entry on lung exam, and digital clubbing. And this patient, 
F508-DEL and W1282-X CFTR mutations, can she be treated with any of the currently approved modulators? Unfortunately, this patient is not eligible for any currently approved modulators. The currently approved modulators include Ivacaftor for people with CF who have gating or residual function mutations, in other words, those that have some anion transport. Lumacaftor Ivacaftor is approved for people with CF who have two copies of F508-DEL, and Tezacaftor Ivacaftor is approved for people with CF who have two copies of F508-DEL or F508-DEL and residual function mutation. Studies of Lumacaftor Ivacaftor and Tezacaftor Ivacaftor were done in subjects with CF who were heterozygous for F508-DEL and a minimal function mutation, one that produces no protein. But those studies actually failed to show improvements in sweat chloride or clinical endpoints. Therefore, there's no currently approved therapy for people with CF who are heterozygous for F508-DEL and a minimal function mutation like this patient. What about the potential triple combination therapies? Based on her mutations, would this patient be eligible for a triple combination therapy, assuming it was approved by the FDA? Based on her mutations, F508-DEL and the nonsense or minimal function mutation W1282X, she actually would be eligible for triple combination therapy if it's approved by the FDA. Triple combination therapy actually uses two correctors and a potentiator to address the multiple defects caused by the F508-DEL mutation, namely incorrect folding, abnormal processing and trafficking to the cell surface, and decreased channel gating at the cell surface. Triple combination therapy was shown in vitro to improve quantity and function of F508-DEL CFTR in cells heterozygous for F508-DEL and a minimal function mutation. You told us earlier that VX445, in combination with Tezacaftor and Ivacaftor, was chosen to be submitted to the FDA as the first triple combination therapy. What can you tell us about the potential benefits of this combination? In the phase two study of VX445, Tezacaftor, Ivacaftor, in people with CF heterozygous for F508-DEL and a minimal function mutation, there was an increase in percent predicted FV1 of 13.8%. There was an almost 40-point drop in sweat chloride, which is an improvement, and a 25.7-point improvement in the CFQR respiratory domain scores. Importantly, in the recent press release, the substantial efficacy that was shown in Phase two studies for VX445 was confirmed in a much larger Phase three study. And side effects in the triple combination studies? What were the most common? The most common side effects observed in the VX445 Tezacaftor Ivacaftor studies were cough, increased sputum, again pulmonary exacerbations, hemoptysis, and pyrexia. There were adverse events that led to discontinuation of therapy in three patients in this study. They included rash, elevated bilirubin, and chest pain, each occurring in a different patient. Although abnormal results of liver function, specifically AST and ALT, more than three times the upper limit of normal were seen, no subject had to be withdrawn because of elevations in AST or ALT. And critically, there was no evidence of acute bronchoconstriction, which were actually observed in the Lumacaftor Ivacaftor studies. Thank you for bringing us today's cases and discussion, Doctor. I've got one more question for you, and it's about the future. Specifically, what do you see happening in the future of disease modification in cystic fibrosis? 
Based on the phase two data from the triple combination studies and the recently released phase three study data, I really expect that triple combination therapy will be approved in the U.S. in 2020 for patients over the age of 12 who are homozygous for F508-DEL or heterozygous for F508-DEL and a minimal function mutation. Early data from other triple combination therapies is really promising. And that's important because we know that there is a range of response and tolerance for all newly approved drugs. So it's hoped that multiple combinations will be available in the future. Because we know that even patients on highly effective CFTR modulators continue to experience airway inflammation and pulmonary exacerbations, we really need to continue to enroll patients in the ongoing trials of anti-inflammatory therapies as well. Thank you for sharing your insights, doctor. Let's wrap things up now by reviewing the key takeaways as they relate to our learning objectives. Uh, so to begin, our first learning objective, identifying patients who are most appropriate for disease-modifying anti-inflammatory therapy. What's most important for clinicians to know? I think it's most important for clinicians to realize that people with CF who are treated with CFTR modulators continue to experience ARA inflammation and pulmonary exacerbations. There are a number of anti-inflammatories that are being studied in clinical trials. However, based on the current recommendations, people with CF over the age of six who are chronically infected with Pseudomonas aeruginosa should be treated with chronic azithromycin therapy for its anti-inflammatory effects. Also, high-dose ibuprofen actually decreases lung function decline in children with CF with mild lung dysfunction and is therefore recommended for use in that group of people with CF with close monitoring of plasma levels. And our second learning objective, the potential benefits and risks reported in phase two trials of triple combination CFTR modulator therapy. In the phase two studies of triple combination modulator therapy, sweat chloride, lung function, and quality of life were substantially improved in people with CF homozygous for F508-DEL and heterozygous for F508-DEL and a minimal function mutation. Again, in other words, one that produces no protein or protein that's unresponsive to tezocaftor, iocaftor in vitro. Importantly, these data were confirmed based on a recent press release in the large phase three studies. The common side effects that occurred in the studies were cough, increased sputum production, pulmonary exacerbations, hemoptysis, headaches, and pyrexia. However, study subjects did not experience bronchoconstriction. Very few subjects had to discontinue the study. The few that discontinued VX445, Tezocaftor, Ivocaftor study had to do so because of elevated bilirubin, chest pain, and rash. The phase three studies of both triple combinations are now complete, and we anticipate FDA submission for approval later in the year. From National Jewish Health in Denver, Dr. Jennifer Taylor Kauser. Thank you for participating in this eCystic Fibrosis Review podcast. It was my pleasure to be part of this discussion. For eCystic Fibrosis Review, I'm Bob Busker. To receive CME credit for this activity, please take the post-test at www.ecysticfibrosisreview.org forward slash test. This podcast is presented in conjunction with the eCystic Fibrosis Review Newsletter, a peer-reviewed literature review certified for CME CE credit, emailed monthly to clinicians treating patients with cystic fibrosis. This activity has been developed for the CF care team, including pulmonologists, pediatric pulmonologists, gastroenterologists, pediatricians, infectious disease specialists, respiratory therapists, dietitians, nutritionists, pharmacists, nurses and nurse practitioners, physical therapists, and others involved in the care of patients with cystic fibrosis.
There are no fees or prerequisites for this activity. This activity has been planned and implemented in accordance with the essential areas and policies of the Accreditation Council for Continuing Medical Education through the joint sponsorship of the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing. The Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine is accredited by the ACCME to provide continuing medical education for physicians. The Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine designates this enduring material for a maximum of 0.5 AMA PRA Category 1 credits. Physicians should claim only the credit commensurate with the extent of their participation in this activity. The Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing is accredited as a provider of continuing nursing education by the American Nurses Credentialing Center's Commission on Accreditation. For nurses, this 0.5 contact hour educational activity is provided by the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing. Each podcast carries a maximum of 0.5 contact hour. This educational resource is provided without charge, but registration is required. To register to receive eCystic Fibrosis Review via email, please go to our website, www.ecysticfibrosisreview.org. The opinions and recommendations expressed by faculty and other experts whose input is included in this program are their own. This enduring material is produced for educational purposes only. Use of the names of the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing implies review of educational format, design, and approach. Please review the complete prescribing information for specific drugs, combinations of drugs, or use of medical equipment, including indication, contraindications, warnings, and adverse effects before administering therapy to patients. E-Cystic Fibrosis Review is supported by educational grants from Gilead Sciences Incorporated, Vertex Pharmaceuticals Incorporated, AbbVie Incorporated, and GEC USA Incorporated. This program is copyright with all rights reserved by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing.